on March 4th. 2015, March 4, 2015. Last week, I participated in a Twitter chat, a new one, called Headhunter Chat. I think that's what it was called. I can't remember exactly. One of the questions they asked during the chat was, what are the big changes that are happening to headhunting in 2015? And everybody started talking about mobile. Mobile, 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 mobile. That was the big thing. I said, mobile. I, I, I was, you know, the, the contrarian, but I was being honest. I wasn't just being negative. I said mobile is important for corporate recruiters, but not for headhunters, not for headhunters, because what's mobile all about? It's about making your website fit on a small screen and making it easy to apply, easy to apply when you're using a tiny keyboard on your phone. That's it. That's all this mobile stuff is about. And headhunters, they don't focus on advertising. They call people at work. You don't find them. They find you. They call you up and say, hey, you want a new job? So everybody, I don't know, I was the odd man out. So just to reinforce my confidence, I went on the SourceCon live show and I said, you know, I was on this headhunting chat the other day and everybody was raving about mobile for headhunters. Isn't that ridiculous? And all the people there, and there were a lot of people there, they said, no, no, animal, you're wrong. Mobile. Wow. That's so important. So I said, how is it important? You can answer the phone when you're on a coffee break, when you're in the toilet. Someone said, oh, I was driving my car with my friend, and he got a call, and after he was on the phone for a few minutes, he said, hey, I just closed a big deal. And I said, well, what does your friend do? Is he a taxi driver? So he's in the car all day, and the phone lets him recruit and drive cab at the same time? Really, I said, is that it? You can recruit on your commute while you're driving? Or when you're sitting in the subway in the middle of a crowd? No, no, they said. You can go out on the beach and recruit there too. And then I got it. Who needs an office when you've got mobile? You can recruit from the beach. You don't need an office. You can recruit from the toilet. From all the places, you're likely to do a really good job. Mobile liberates you. And that's what all the geniuses are talking about. I finally got it. <laughs> but I dare one of them to say that on this show. And Jerry, Jerry, what show is this? What show is this? What show is that? What are you doing? Show is this where I got to go through a dozen yeah. lines and, and and get rid of these jerks on their stupid phones? It, it shows nobody's got any respect for you, animal. And I am that's awful. Shows are stupid. I say it every week. I say the shows. It's I don't know what it's about. It's not really about recruiting. Uh, Bill is going to tell us. Our guest is. Thank you uh, for an animal, and I would hope you clean up your audio because it's really bad. 
Bill, no I'm kidding. sorry about this, horrible. and I have no part in this. This sounds awful. I'm, you talk I'm not putting my stamp of approval here. This is horrible. Talk to Jerry for a minute while I try to, you know, fix the fix okay. Hey, Bill, what's going on, brother? Hey, Jerry, you and I see this world from the same perspective, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here, even though I know you've got a, uh, an important prep to do, but you'll be back later. Hey, yes, is it absolutely. gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? No. Okay. No. Okay, Look, man, Bill I, I... Oh, Bill, no, Bill, tell us. Let Bill, you introduce yourself. Tell us what you're going to talk about today, okay? Well, this sound is another one of those bumps yeah. in the road that we sometimes talk about, but I, I want to talk about really several things, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to address the audience. Uh, if I can't leave, you got it. Off, there you I go. Can't. Who was it? Oh, let me shame that person. Yeah, publicly. Let's blast this guy. It's you, 203. What area code is? Where's that, 203? Jersey. Oh, oh, I think I know who it is. This is Newman, but I'm not going to rat the person out. Mike. My, my, oh, Alejandro. Or Mike A. Stringer. Okay, anyway, let's go. Let's get the show on the road. Bill? Okay. Okay. Oh, what that sounds to- good. Woo! Bill, what do you want to talk about? Okay, tell me, please. First, let me uh, let me start by saying, you know, which I think most of you know, and I hope uh, people listening know, I'm, I'm a recruiter, and I've been a recruiter for actually this will be this year's 30 years. Uh, I love recruiting. Unbelievable. I love recruiters, and I love the process. But technically, I'm a headhunter. Uh, and I see a big difference, and it's something at some point I'd like to talk about because. I think there's just an enormous amount of confusion on labels. What is a recruiter? What isn't a recruiter? What's a headhunter? What isn't a headhunter? So I want to kind of relate it to some personal trials I've had in my life, some bumps I've had in my road, and the way I've addressed them, because I think there's a lesson that we as recruiters or headhunters uh, can draw from and use. And I want to kind of step back in time about five years because five years up to the present, up going forward, is where I learn how to live. And uh, I think it's an important lesson. And let me let me step back first and say that if, if you go back five years ago, an animal you and I have met in Toronto, and you know that I've, uh, I'm physically active. I've been a competitive master athlete uh, most of my life. Uh, I was training for a what's called a sprint triathlon, which is a short triathlon. And this is five years ago. At that time, I was uh, uh, 72 years old. I'm now 77. And, wow. uh, and I was Well, why? Not really. And so I, <laughs> I kept on having a problem in, in some of my, uh, my events. And I was running short of breath and swimming. And I was typically working out. I was doing... Uh, you know, 3,000 yards, two, three times a week is part of my swimming training. And I kept on running short of breath. So I went to my doctor, not because I thought I was sick, but because I thought my times were were, were being uh, slowed down a little bit. <clears throat> and he kind of prodded a little bit and prodded a little bit and listened and, and said, I don't know what's going on. He said, but something is, he says, I want you to go to a, a pulmonologist and get a high-resolution CT scan. We don't know what a pulmonologist is, okay? You know, we're... we're, we're, we're Oh, you don't have them in Canada, dude. Okay, go ahead. Because your healthcare system sucks! Okay, what's a pulmonologist? Essentially, it's a lung doctor. Somebody who's... uh, Somebody who's concerned with the pulmonary system in the body, lung and heart. Don't use big words on this show, okay? All right, we'll try not to. 
Who's Tony clearing Allen, their throat? Uh, I was running short of breath and uh, got a diagnosis. Doctor, uh, kind of matter-of-factly, tells me, uh, well, you know, Mr. Vicky, you have IPF. And I say, well, that's three initials. What does it mean? He says, well, it means idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And I said, well, is gonna, what is that? He said, well, why don't you come down to my office in a week or so, and we'll discuss it. He said, bring your wife, and we'll kind of walk through it. I didn't think a whole lot of it. Went home, went back to what I was doing, didn't pay a lot of attention, went down to his office a couple of weeks later. And uh, with my wife, with Patty, and we walk in and sit down, and the doctor uh, kind of walks in and sticks his head around the corner. He says, well, Mr. Vic, you've, you've got I- IPF, and the diagnosis is, uh, is, is pretty certain. And I said, what does that mean? He says, well, simply it means you're going to die in about three years. And he said that with no dance, no necking, no kissing, just up front and very matter-of-factly. He should have said, and bring so your wife poor- and the undertaker, okay? Go ahead. Poor Patty, Patty just uh, turned sheet white, almost fell on the floor. I, I kind of shook my head, what do you mean? And so he said, well, you've got IPF. And so with that, I said, well, what do you do? What, how do you handle that? He said, well, you can't do anything for it. There is no treatment. There is no cure. He says, you, uh, you kind of wait it out and die. And I said, well, what do I do until I die? And he says, well, anything you want. So I decided to do a little something different because, again, I'm a recruiter. And as a recruiter, you know, we learn some of those interesting skills of dealing with turndowns, of dealing with negativity, of dealing with those situations that are bigger bumps than most people encounter in their businesses. So I took a, a choice, and I think a lot of our lives based on choices. In my case, my choice was twofold. I could be, I could be a victim. I could be a patient. I could be somebody who lets things happen to me. Or I could be a warrior and make things happen for me. And I decided to take that path, that, that warrior path. And at first, I, I think when you confront something like that, when you're told you're going to die from a disease, you go through a grief cycle, and it's first disbelief, then it's fear, anger, and acceptance. And that cycle takes different periods of time for different people. It took me about six months. And during that time, I didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I went through all of those disbelief, fear, anger, and then finally acceptance. When I made that acceptance, I decided to do something for myself, and I I just poured myself into uh, doing all those research tools that we as recruiters learn how to use. I spent a lot of time with uh, with Dr. Google. I came up with some concepts of my own of how to deal with something like, like idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And the one thing I, I will say is kind of a a flag I'd like to raise for the audience that's listening, for you, Michael, Jerry, is that the symptoms of IPF are so subtle that it's often confused with other simpler diseases. Example, shortness of breath, uh, a modest uh, loss of weight, a persistent cough. Mm. That sounds a lot like bronchitis. It sounds a lot like asthma. And most people are initially diagnosed and misdiagnosed with those things. The only diagnosis that you you want to tell whether or not you have it, and 200,000 people, by the way, do have it, the only diagnosis is a high-resolution CT scan. Now, of those 200,000 people, let me point out that every year more people die from pulmonary fibrosis than either breast cancer or prostate cancer, roughly uh, 
Now, 42,000 people a year die from it. Every year, 48,000 people die from this than breast cancer? More people die from this than breast cancer. Seriously? What are you you telling us that we should get ourselves checked for this disease? If you have a shortness of breath, if you have a persistent cough, uh, you don't listen to your doctors, you listen to your own heart, your own self, and you try to push for a high-resolution CT scan to eliminate it. You don't want it because once you get it, there's not a lot you can do about it. Okay. But no, early I diagnosis I I I'm, getting, I'm getting a lot of flack on Twitter. People are saying, how can we pick on this guy? He's a dying man. But that's not true, okay? You're, you've lived well beyond those three years already, and you can take it. So if people, people want to so challenge he, what you're saying, they can just speak up, okay? Is that well, true? At, at, this point, at, at this point, there's nothing to challenge. It might be later on because it's a pretty factual stuff. And I'm, I'm raising that flag of awareness because uh, I think there's a lot of people walking the street today that do, in fact, have pulmonary fibrosis. I've probably had it for about 10 years. I've only been diagnosed now for a little over four. So you have to kind of be aware of those things and take action. But the things I've learned because of that, you know, once, once you stand in front of the mirror and you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, you know, I'm dying and you face that reality, life changes, and it changes, in my case, significantly for the better. And that sounds crazy. But the the advantage I have over you, Michael, as an example, when you when you kind of look at that, that line in the sand, your life, it's in the, kind of off in that foggy future. I can see mine laying at my feet, and I know it's when it's finite, and it's different. I now look at my my life, my world differently. I've learned lessons I think apply not just to living well, but living and living well in any life and including recruiting because recruiting to me is a lifestyle, not just a business. It always has been. So the first choice I made personally was I follow a process I call SPADE, S-P-A-D-E, and it's a lifestyle. And SPADE is support for S, prayer, P, Attitude, A, D, diet, and E, exercise. So spade, support, prayer, attitude, diet, and exercise. That's my lifestyle. That's the way I live. And I think those things have contributed towards my stabilizing or holding off a progression of IPF. And that's the best course you can do is, is hold it steady. So as such, you learn really, really fast what's important in life. You learn the value of people. And I think the biggest lesson I learned in life, it's not the things that matter, it's people that matter. And learning that people, friends, family, other patients and others are important uh, has defined now my life for the last five years. Uh, I no longer actively recruit. My mission, uh, quite simply, is first to spread awareness of IPF as I'm doing now. Uh, to helpfully, uh, hopefully inspire patients and their families to live, not simply die with IPF. And also I want to help good recruiters become great recruiters. And anything I can do in those three things, I do every day, every day of my life. So that's, my, that's kind of my focus and my mission because, you know, if you, if you look at life, yesterday's gone, you know, tomorrow may never come, and so you have to live in the right now, the present. And the present sometimes gets a little foggy because as a recruiter, who hasn't faced that fall off, that 
you think your life has ended because you lost a big deal, or what recruiter has not at some point in time said to themselves, you know, that's the last placement I'll ever make. I just stumbled in this one. Everyone's, everyone faces those things. But when you face them in, the, in the, the greater scheme of things and you look at time as something that's finite, it's different. And it's, it's like the, the bigger problems sometimes have simpler answers. And I find the bigger the problem, the simpler the answer. And the way I now approach things is I, I go through a process I call chunk and prioritize. I take those problems I might face, be it in business or in life, and I kind of gather them together and prioritize them and recognize I can't do everything, but I can do the important things. It's the same in recruiting. You know, if the, the typical recruiter probably has a checklist a mile long that they can never, ever get done every day to the best of their ability. And if they simply put things in priorities and look at the two or three important things and do them and then maybe reward themselves or take a breath and then go on to the next ones, they find that life is much more effective. Uh, I, I like to simplify things. You know, did you ever see the movie, what was it, City Slickers, Jack Plants? Uh, his his name oh, yeah. in that movie was... With Billy was, Crystal. Was Billy Crystal, exactly right. Uh, his, his name was Curly, and he, he'd hold up his finger and say one thing. Well, one thing is a simple thing in life. I look at it as three things. And it's putting those three things that you're dealing with in perspective and doing those before anything else. And after you've done those, then do something else. And I think it's the same in recruiting. You know, we, we sometimes get kind of lost in the process. And again, it's based on your definition of what is recruiting. And that's something I would like to talk about with you and so that uh, you and I can kind of come to some understanding of what we mean when we say recruiter, because it means different things to different people. But it comes back to, you know, focusing and focusing on the basics. And I focus on people first and foremost. I focused on, on the joy of interacting with others. Uh, I focus on I'm giving and not getting, and my life is richer, and it's better because of it. And I just say, I guess in a closing thing, I'd say, Michael, and then we, I like to talk about all those things I touched on. You know, the ancient Egyptians had this, uh, this wonderful thought. And the thought was that upon death, uh, they'd be asked two questions, and their answers would determine whether they'd continue their journey on to the afterlife. And the first question was, did you bring joy? And the second question is, did you find joy? And that's the lesson that I think is the most important lesson I've learned in my life, is to bring joy and to find joy every single day, and I do. Gary, is that you? No, but I thought, I thought he's now slipping into a, song, a joyful song. I, that was great. It was great. I was loving it. Somebody put us on hold, I think, and that was really awkward. Uh, it, you guys really run? Show, you the know, timing on that was unbelievable. That, yeah, that was good. Hold on a sec. I'm going to have to mute, mute everybody. Oh, uh, I say we go with it. There's, that, that must be time it's for the loud. end. Something's happening here. Something's happening. Hold on. Okay. All right. That was awkward. Hey, so, so this is Jeremy. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I don't know okay. if anyone else can yet. So, okay. so one of the cool things that he said, he was like, he was talking about if we're going to relate this back to 
into, you know, the recruiting world, he was talking about how he used the skills that he had as a recruiter to go fight the problem. And I was reading the book, um, The Future of Work, the other day, and, and it kind of touched on this theme. He was talking about the future workforce is um, it's not about what information you have or, um, you know, information is more available now than ever before. So now the new problem is how do you use that information when you get it and how do you solve problems more than what do you know? It's how do you, how do you use things that come your way? And I think he, he touched on that, you know, in, in his opening remarks about his illness was using those skills that he had acquired and the resilience he had acquired throughout his career to go solve the problem and address the problem as opposed to uh, accepting. So, so anyway, that was cool. Jeremy, I I personally think if I was not and did not have that recruiting background, <clears throat> I'd be pushing up Daisy someplace right now. Okay, are we open for questions? Is that what we're doing now? I like I I'm winging it. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> but anybody else can ask a question before me. Anybody want to ask a question? You mean anybody but me? Jerry, go ahead. I thought you're. I thought you're busy doing business. You're not with us anymore. I'm well, up, dude. I only work well, 15 minutes a day. Today it happened yeah. to be at noon. Okay. You know? Look, Bill. I have a know, comment. I have a comment. If, if that's okay. You, you know, you didn't say anything when I asked. Okay. And yeah. now when I start talking, you interrupt mm-hmm. me. Is that what's up, no, what's who, that about? Was that was that Marine? Kathy Manis. Go ahead, Kathy. It's passive aggressive stuff, animal. No, no, no. I was on mute, and it took me a while to unmute. Well, first of all, Bill, you know, I admire you greatly not only as, um, you know, an example of someone stellar within our community as professionals, but also your personal um, journey that you're on. And I think that all of us can learn from that. And I think that we all kind of – don't believe enough in ourselves because when faced with adversity, um, and you know, let's face it, Jerry, right? If like a hundred thousand dollar placement falls through, that's but, let me ask my question. Let me ask. Oh, no, before we get too sentimental here, let me ask my question. Okay, sorry, before Kathy. Before we I, get there, yeah, I'm well, cutting you off. Uh, okay, you two. Yeah, I a little late. Question. No, I, I want to ask my question, okay? He, Bill said, I just learned to live when I was 73 years old. I don't believe that for a second. What was your other 73 years about, okay? That was the journey. That was my point, Animal, is that people don't realize that, you know, they have that. They are learning to live, and they are living during that whole 73 years. It's just when they're called upon, you know, to, to use it in a more, you know, directed way, it becomes noticed. Thanks, Bill. Billette. Okay. I want to hear what Bill has to say about that, Kathy. Excuse me. Okay. Bill, are you saying you didn't live all that other time? You spent 40 years with your wife or something like that, and you weren't alive? No. Let me uh, – I'd ask one favor. If people ask a question, I'd like to know who they are. Was that Maureen or was that Kathy? No, it was Kathy Manis, the famous okay. Kathy hey, Manis. Kathy. Girl interrupted. Thanks. All right, thank you. Yeah, let me uh, let me kind of put it in perspective if I can. I when I was first diagnosed. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to okay. say something to Donato. He's here for once, and he he passed a post on Twitter. I'm laughing at you, not with you. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Not you, Bill. Good. Me. Okay, thanks. Well, I take a well, I didn't see that tweet. Well, I'm pumped <laughs> um, out to you. you when I when I the first six months I was diagnosed, I was getting ready to plan for. 
my 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, my wife and I met in San Francisco on a blind date, and uh, we were going out there to celebrate our anniversary and go to all those places we used to go to. And my doctor told me, he says, don't wait two years because you probably won't be here to go on that anniversary, so take it now. So we did. And we went out and we told the airplane that it was our 50th anniversary that we were flying Virgin Airlines. They gave us a bottle of champagne, which was great. And the hotel, it was our 50th anniversary, so we got a deluxe suite, their, their comp. And just a lot of other wonderful, nice things happened. And I said to myself, that was a lot of fun. So the next year, the doctor said the same thing. He said, don't wait a year. Do it now, but you're not going to be here next year. So we did. So we've now gone through three, and we're planning this year our next and last 50th anniversary. It's a great way to live, but it's a great lesson in living because all of a sudden you find out how generous and wonderful and beautiful people can be when they have Especially a Especially when you go around lying to them, Bill. Well, it's absolutely now true. Now, come on. It, it's absolutely true. So I, I love this concept of 50th anniversary. But what I learned, and, and I had a good life before diagnosis, yeah. I have a different life after, and I call it the new reality. It's a different reality. And, and I did really, I did okay as a recruiter. In, in 25 years, I, uh, I probably, I don't know, I averaged somewhere around 400 a year in billings, which I think is pretty good. I had some, I had my, my best year was just shy of a million. My worst year was about 110. And uh, so I've, I've had a good run at it. That's over 10 million it. in personal billings. Give, give or like take that. Uh, half a minute. Whatever, whatever it is. Throwing that out there. But I had a good run at it. And uh, and you got to think some of that was in the 80s when 400 was big, 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 big. Mm. My, my, my rookie year at MR Management Recruiters was in 1985. And as their national rookie of the year, I did 300. Mm. Today's world, a, a national rookie would have to probably do close to six. So it was the same, same kind of ratio numbers. So I, I've had a good run at it. And I lived well. And it was all about the stuff, the things, the, the house and the trips and the food and the watch and the right shoes and the, the Gucci this or that. Mm-hmm. And you find out those things aren't really that important in the scheme of things. What's really important to me now, I love watching my, one of my grandsons go out in the field and play lacrosse or basketball and just laugh and giggle. And that's more important than all that stuff. And you don't know that until you have a reason to pay attention. And I wish we all had the ability to pay attention in our lives and appreciate the things that aren't things. Okay, Bill. Like, I I really don't get it. I mean, I don't see how your life changed at all, except that you have to make sure that your wife is going to be provided for when, if and when you die. I mean, everything's the same as it was before. Nothing changed. Really? Let me let me let me quote Steve Jobs, who I I greatly admire. I don't like I knew him. Steve, I, well, I I Go knew ahead. Steve literally. Uh, I ordered an Apple One when he and Wozniak were in the garage. Literally, they never shipped it, but I ordered it. So I've I've known him a long time. He had a great quote. He says, "Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart." Stay hungry, stay foolish. And he said it, and he said it well. Once you look in the mirror and really understand you're going to die, not talk about it, not theorize it, but know it, your life will change. For me, it changed positively. That's not true of everybody, but for me, it was, it was that. 
Yeah, but I mean, okay, if you think you're going to die tomorrow, you can go out and you know, chase girls and uh, smoke dope and whatever you want to do because there's no consequences. You're not going to be here. But a normal life, you know, yeah, I'm going to die 50 years from now or 30 years from now. You still have to live your life every day. Nothing, nothing really changes. So do we have I mean, to all agree with – now, if we don't argue with you, that doesn't mean we agree with you that there are no consequences if you act like a fool and die tonight, okay? Uh, what consequences are they if I act like a fool and die tonight? Okay. <laughs> we're, 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 no, no, we're just going to let you say that. We're not going to debate things like the afterlife. Why not? That was no, like, that, that was like an extreme – that was an extreme statement, Animal. So um, anyway, keep going. So, so you're you're making statements that you don't have to back up because you figure, hey, I might die tomorrow. What do I care what anyone thinks about what I said, right? <laughs> okay. Does anybody have a question for Bill? I'll I'll, sit, I'll, I'll, I'll wait wait it out because I have a lot of questions. Jerry or anybody, Kathy, anybody? I've got a question. Yeah. Bill, you earlier you indicated that you're not a recruiter. You're a headhunter. Do you find times that a person can spend a couple of days as a recruiter and then a day as a headhunter, or is it one? I, I, is it one or the other? I, I, I love that question. question. <laughs> I, I think it's a valid question because I, I think our business changes and yeah, it's, it's uh, question so far. It's, it's evolving. If you, if you look at recruiting today and yesterday, it's it's a very very different business. Mm-hmm. What frustrates me sometimes is uh, maybe the misunderstanding of what recruitment is or what a recruiter is. I think a headhunter is, and a recruiter are, are, are kissing cousins, but there's a difference. And the difference is uh, I was a headhunter, meaning that my mission and my role was to go out, find the candidate, drag them kicking and screaming if necessary back to my client and sit on top of them until they accepted a job. Now that's different than recruiting in today's world. It's uh it's it's much it's much more uh it's kind of a binary business. It's really a black and white yes no true false business. As a headhunter, uh my success was purely based on the fact that I get a placement or not. If I'm a recruiter, there might be other if I'm working in a company, an organization, uh my success is keeping my job. It's different. And it's just a, it's a mindset, and it's not simply working for a company versus working on your own. I don't think it's all of those things and none of those things. Uh, I think the definition is important, and I follow many of the postings on, uh, on animal site as well as others. And the business is being shaped today based on, on all the writings and all of the things taking place with LinkedIn and others that support the corporate mentality of recruitment versus the independent third party. Uh, by, I'm a third party guy. I'm a headhunter. I, I work for myself and the client I work for have the first allegiances and loyalties. Uh, do I manipulate candidates? Absolutely. Do I push the envelope as well, what hard does as that I mean? have to, to make well, Okay, well, let me break. What does it mean? Do I manipulate candidates? Absolutely. What does that mean? Exactly what I said. Nobody says no. If, uh, in, when I'm actively recruiting animal, I control the situation to the smallest detail, and there is no outside chances or contingencies. If you do it right, you always have success. 
because you'd never have a candidate interview who hasn't pre-accepted the job. You'd never have a company that will interview a candidate till they're pre-offered the job to somebody. I mean, it's just a, it's a whole process you go through. No, okay, no, no, no. And, I'm gonna. You said I could ask questions. So if you well, recruit you somebody, you're headhunting somebody, right? You're calling somebody yep. who's already in a good job. You have Hopefully. an idea. You've got an idea what your client can offer her or him, but you're not 100% sure. So, you know, this person's not sure either until he or she goes out and speaks to them. So you send out your candidate before. You, you can't guarantee, yeah, you better take this job if they offer it, or I'm not sending you out. You can't do that. Well, you can if you do it right. It's it's different. It's uh, There's a matter of and a degree of skill in doing that. It doesn't simply happen because you want it to, and it's not an instantaneous wham, bam, thank you placement. You know, I think if you do the process correctly, you know, my father, who is, is probably the greatest salesman I ever knew in my life, he really is, and he taught me a lot of things. And one of them was, is before you make a sale, make a friend. I think before you recruit a candidate, you make a friend. And that's where the – animal. you and I disagree to a, a large degree on social media and its place in the process. Uh, I use social media not simply as a finding tool or a tool to be found on, but a, a tool to establish relationships. Uh, I never would send out a candidate I didn't have some form of a relationship where I really understood their inner motivations and what drove them and their, their hidden goals and what they really wanted to like on the job. How long, how, how long do you have to know them before you know that? 20 minutes? It, it, oh, no, much, much longer. It, it really how depends. How long? How long? No, 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 Bill. Bill, Bill I, nobody, hold on just a second. No, no, no. no let me just before, finish this before, question. Uh, you, we're going to paint him in a corner, and we're going to talk about social media. I want to ask him a question related to the earlier I wasn't going to talk about social media, but you go ahead, Jeremy. You gave me okay. a question so, on your Bill. show last week. Okay, I'll pay you back. Go ahead. <laughs> So, Bill, you were talking about the difference in a headhunter and a recruiter. Can you, based on all of your experience, how do you identify a person with those skills in an interview? That was That's one of the questions I get more than anything else. How do you interview someone to, to, to make sure they have that instinct versus the transactional recruiter instinct? I think it takes it takes some time and skill and some depth probing. It's it's the ability to really understand the inner motivations of somebody. It's it's not something that happens. I, I can't say here's 25 rules to follow. It, it's it's much more complex. It's the dynamics of human interaction. And uh, I I think because of my background before recruiting, I developed those skills. Uh, you know, before I became a recruiter and and. People become recruiters for different reasons. I became one for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I'd gone through uh, two two different lives and two different careers. I'd been in the cosmetic business, uh, which I left after about 15 years as a vice president of sales at the Gucci Lanvin, uh, uh, the Gucci Lanvin fragrance division of, of Menon, and uh, became uh, got involved in the computer business. Had a chain of computer stores. Uh, took a software company public where I lost my fanny and came back to Dallas, big time broke, putting my house payment on my MasterCard broke, had a daughter getting ready to go to college, getting had a daughter getting ready to get married, had about $13 in the bank, and that's when I became a recruiter to find a job. And uh, in that process, I learned what recruiting was because even though I had this 
his background in sales and marketing and management uh, with some Fortune 500 large companies, and I had managed at one point better than 200 people, it didn't mean a lot as far as being a recruiter. It's a business you have to learn into itself. And I failed, I failed miserably in recruiting my first three months. When I say miserably, uh, I did what I thought I was supposed to do, but I was filtering it based on my background and experience. And I luckily worked for a guy, a guy named Bob Bassman, who probably is one of the, one of the best, if not the best, uh, managers in a recruiting organization I've ever met, who pulled me aside one day and uh, put his arm around my shoulder, and we're about the same age. He said, he said, kid, he said, if you want to fail your way, keep on doing what you're doing, but try failing mine for a while. And I did. And I became a, you talk about a recruiting robot. And I was in the office at seven in the morning and I was at home making calls, house calls to, to spouses, spousal calls at night until I eight and nine o'clock. And I did that every single day and bingo, it worked. That next month I billed $100,000. And I went on that year to become their national rookie of the year because I listened and I changed the way I did what I knew. However, I still had all those skills and background of marketing and management and sales that I learned in large organizations and companies. And I went through. Yeah, but you got to answer. Uh, 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 you got to answer Jeremy's question. He says, "How can he interview somebody? How can well, he interview me, somebody?" I'm to explain. Well, let me. You're taking so the long route. You're taking the long way. Okay. I am going to okay. take the very long route. So I spent a year at Revlon, uh, my second to last year before I left. Uh, where I went out on behalf of the company and attended about 15 different sales training and management courses to audit them for the company. And it was a great experience for me because I, I had the opportunity of learning over the course of a year uh, the very best training offered by the training companies in America. And those things, those skills are what enabled me to understand the motivations of a candidate, to manage the candidate, uh, to establish procedures and, and hurdles that they had to follow, to put in place things I used to call the 2020 rule, which is, you know, 20 feet or 20 seconds, you're done with the interview, you're on the phone to me first, and they were. And uh, just a lot of things like that. I, it's, to answer the question, it's, <laughs> delving into those things that motivate a candidate, it's not a fast, sometimes it's fast, but I'd say typically it would take me three to maybe four calls of probably 20 to 30 minutes each before I got to that point of what I call candidate control. So maybe two hours, three hours of time that's spread. It was spread across three or four days. Uh, very seldom did I call and talk to somebody on day one and present them on day two. It would be present them, talk to them on day one and present on day four or five. So it's different. Does that make sense? Yeah, but he wants to know how you, if you're interviewing somebody, you can tell if they're a headhunter or a recruiter. Oh, you mean hiring a person to work for you? Yeah, yeah, that's what he wants to know. All right, mm -hmm. I'm going to relate to you, and if I can, what happened at, at, at Pinnacle, and I was one of the founders of Pinnacle, and we used to sit around a table and do a process called Pinnacleizing, and Pinnacleizing was asking each other and trying to come up and build a model of a, of a super recruiter. We were, at that point in time, the top 1% of all recruiters in North America. If we could replicate ourselves and hire that person, we could make a lot of money. We did it for three years. At the end of three years, the only conclusion we came up with, it wasn't discipline, 
It wasn't marketplace. It wasn't background. It wasn't training. The one thing, the one commonality we found in every one of those people in that room was they were not pursuing success as much as they were fleeing failure. They were not going towards achievement. They were fleeing not achieving. And that was the determination. That was the only factor. And if I was going to hire somebody today, I'd, I'd be looking for those things. How do you figure it out, though? A lot of questions. Like? It, it, it's intuition, Mike. You know, there's, there's, again, it's not that 25 words or less or a, a checklist of 10 things. It's a discussion. You know, if you want to have, have that discussion for the next half hour, I'll be glad to have it with you, and I'll make a determination. Uh, I've met you once in no, no, Canada. No, this is Jeremy's oh. question. no, no, this is Jeremy's question. He wants to know. Okay. Uh, maybe he'll have you. Ha- he's going to have to have you on the Source Kind live show then. To, to no, I'll give you the I'm answer fine. right now. The answer is that there is no pad answer to determine the difference. You have to spend time and delve into the person and understand their inner motivations. Are they pursuing success? Are they fleeing failure? Can they walk, talk, chew gum? Do they have the skill set? How do they handle themselves in a, in a, in a negative situation? There's just a whole bunch of stuff you have to go through. Do you hey, think it's possible? Question for Jeremy. I mean, Jeremy, did that answer your question? I, I'm satisfied with that because I feel the same way when people ask me about hiring a good sourcer. A lot of it is me having a conversation and then making an intuitive call. It's not... I can't give you five questions, and if they answer them this way, then then you know they are, you know. So I, you know, he gave me insight, and I think that's good. But I think that in at, in the end, it's an intuitive call. So I, I feel yeah, good there's, about that. there's no pet answer to it because if it worked all the time, everyone that's part of Pinnacle would all be hiring those kinds of people and making a lot of money, and they're not all doing that. I mean, it's just a very difficult thing. Recruiting is a tough business. It's you know, if you hire 10 people a day in, in the world of recruitment and success and failure, there's going to be two of them left at the end of the year. At the end of the second year, one of those are gone. And the end of the third year, it's a 50-50 if that's a, if that's a keeper. I mean, how do you know? It's just a very difficult – it's a binary business. You, you make it or you don't. You, you succeed What complicates it even more is people who want that skill set, but they want them to be employees, not um, – sure you know, not third party. So that's Absolutely. They, they want more the security clutch. Sure, they want that, that clutch of security. And I find that uh, most of the people I know out there that are big billers uh, are by nature risk takers. Uh, they're also, uh, they're not unlike you, Michael. They're not afraid in confrontation. Uh, they're not afraid to understand that their role in the process is is to satisfy themselves first and foremost, and that means a placement. Okay, I I I I, uh, I picked up some questions because I knew you were going to come with some new philosophical view of life. So I want to see how uh, you're advising us to handle you know the tough stuff that comes up as a recruiter. So we're going to recognize if your first thing is recognize that you're going to die. Okay. So the recruiter, this recruiter is 25 or, or 30 years old, not 70 or 77. Okay. You, he gets a, a job order for a, a, a very senior job, but you know, it's a tough one to fill, finds a really good candidate. Wait, 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 hold on. 
he got a job order. I'm not sure I understand. When you say he has a job order, how did he get the job order? Uh, uh, by cold calling. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. He cold called. So it's not someone yeah. who's working behind a desk in an organization. No, no, no. It's a headhunter. It's a third-party agency recruiter, okay? Working for that's him not or herself. A headhunter, but okay. Okay. <laughs> that's, well, that, that's a question we can debate later. So here, anyway, picks up the job order, gets it a senior, you know, uh, let's say a senior marketing person, $200,000, whatever. And so they love her. The client loves her, has her out a few times. They're ready to make loves an who? offer. The re- loves the candidate or the candidate? They love the candidate, okay? So, You're jumping uh, around a lot. You to yeah, you oh, really took some leaps there. there. Gosh. Not, okay. well, go ahead. I go ahead. Jump Find the candidate. They love the candidate. It's very easy to understand huh? what I'm saying. Don't don't ridicule me. Don't be an I Donato. Okay. <laughs> so so <laughs> so anyway, and then they do a reference check. And checking the references, they find out that she has a boyfriend in France, and they decide that they don't want to hire her. They won't even really tell you, but you find out from talking that she got, and they're afraid she's going to leave the, get married and leave the country. So they won't, and she tells, she swears up and down, that's not going to happen. But your client won't move after you've done all the work and found the perfect person. What's your attitude with your new view on life? Nothing with a new view. It's any view. That stuff, a stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, I thought you came here to tell us about the revelation. <laughs> I thought you had an epiphany, okay, and that you were going to – Jerry That's told it. us that. He said, Jerry told us a recruiter has to always be able to take a $50,000 punch in the stomach, right? And and smile when you take it. Stuff happens. Really? Listen, of course. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we're all human beings and human things happen. If this was a science and not an art form, which it is – it's an art form. It's not a science. It's not black and white. You can't put it in the machine. Can I add something here, though, Bill? Can I add a little bit of, of my own thoughts on an answer here for this thing? It doesn't just come out right before they're getting ready to make the offer. This has not. been known from the first couple of times you talked to this stellar candidate. If you do it right. Uh, yeah, you, and so you're, I'm saying, the customer you knows that. about this. I mean, this isn't... You know, you See, bring these examples out of the woodwork as if they they just come out of some glass jar you just open at this particular moment. Michael, I would never have sent that candidate out because before that candidate walks in the front door for that interview, I would know those things. And you have to be you have to take time. It's not. I think uh, unfortunately, way too many recruiters look at a resume, accept it on face value, talk to the candidate and verify what they're saying, and then say, "I got the person." because they see the dollar signs of a placement and they don't take the time to understand the nuances and the correct motivation. And is this a candidate that, that will accept the job and qualify for the job and will the company offer the job and hire the candidate? I mean, no, it's, it's, it's illegal. No, no, no. Let, let me stop it. A good okay? recruiter no. not have known. A good recruiter it's would illegal. Known. It's illegal to instead. ask a question. Of, it's illegal to ask questions about marital status. It's not illegal is to it? ask. It's just, it depends how you ask it, and, and no, I, it I, depends I, on how I, you use the information you gather. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, to frame the question I, I, the right so, way, but a, a, good, a good recruiter without saying, "Hey, are you married?" 
Yeah, it's just how you ask it and how you go about the process, Daniel. You know, there's, there are different degrees of sophistication in the way you ask, ask questions and get answers and interpreted. And uh, you're giving a very simplistic view, and that person that you just referred to me who sent out that's got a boyfriend in France – uh, who may be the right candidate and the and the higher I wouldn't ever send that candidate out. I'd why know not? it before. Why wouldn't you say? Why not? Why not? Because I, 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 I know would that they're not going to accept the job, and I know the company if they're going to offer it or not. It's you, you can't leave those things to chance. If you do the deal right, like one of the ways that you measure recruiting effectiveness and efficiency is called the send out to placement ratio. How many send outs do you send out on the average job to get a placement? I've known people all over the all over the place. I know a, a good friend of mine. He knocks out 18 sendouts to one placement. Incredibly high. I've got other people that, that hover somewhere around two to three to one. It, probably where it should be. So it's all over the place. It's not. This is not a science. This isn't a, a recruiting box. You you pour in specifications and people to and spit out placements. It's not unfortunately that scientific. And you're okay. what you're looking for. You're looking for an answer that's finite, and, and people never are. People are never 100%. People are always they have nuances and differences, and they make decisions based on different values. Yeah, we're talking about something else now. I, I'm treating you like a regular guy, okay? So I'm going to be aggressive with you. You're answering a different question now. I wanted to know the attitude, and you said you, 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 for this situation. You have the same attitude you've always had. You just shrug. What, what the hell can I do about it? Let's say that you That's get an offer for somebody. Oh, Isn't that I, what you said? I would never, That's what I, would I heard. Never had that That's what I heard. So, Animal, let me make a recommendation here. You're asking for black and white answers from a person who is a master of the gray area. Don't make fun of me, okay, Jeremy? You're on my show. Did I really ridicule you? Okay. Look, I just asked him, how can I be philosophical about something like that instead of banging my head against a wall, okay? And he you're said, well, I've always been like that. You're not being a philosopher. You're trying to be a mathematician. You're saying if these conditions exist, X, Y, and Z, this has to happen, B. And that's not the case in recruiting, unfortunately. I wish it was. Okay. So here's another case. You've got a candidate, good candidate, get, going to get an offer. At the last minute, she calls you and tells you she got a, a better offer someplace else. And you did ask her if she was interviewing someplace else, and she, she said no. But something else came up at the last minute. Okay? Because DJL, they all lie. Sure. Okay. So what's your – no, but I want to know if what you started out telling us at the beginning, you've got IPF. You realize, you know, you might die soon. And so that changed your life, you said. But when I'm asking, yeah. and you said, all of us recruiters, like I said in the, uh, in the intro, uh, we all have uh, to overcome and rise above challenges. So I'm asking you, after you've had stuff like this happen, one, you know, one thing after another, how do you rise above it? I, I have the feeling that you had a revelation that you were going to share to us so that, you know, we could be better people. I'm not sure what. Well, so what's the question? What do you this asking? This woman calls after she told me that she wasn't. She wasn't taking a look at any other jobs. I've got the offer. She says, "Sorry, I accepted something. I really appreciate the work you've done for me. You're a fantastic recruiter, and I'm going to recommend you to everybody. But I accepted an offer somewhere else. So you're not going to make thirty thousand dollars. Tough luck, okay? How do I, you know, tolerate that?" How do, well, don't we all if you can't, that? get out of the business, dude. Yeah, really. Hunter down, listen, I, killer. I, nobody, 
I don't know any recruiter Forcer. anywhere that's ever had 100% on send outs and placements. You know, you find that person for me, and I'll uh, sit at their feet and uh, and worship them. It doesn't exist. I've had fall offs and failures. I've lost fees. I've had turn downs. Nobody's 100. percent I'm not. And you, you go home you, happy after yeah. you got the turn down. Is that what, that's what I'm asking you? Did you go Hell home happy? yeah, because you got it out of the way. You're golden for the next four or five months, man. You know, you're out. That's your ratios, right, Jerry? After one yeah. turn down, they okay. They only happen every once in a while. Okay, yeah. The numbers okay. game. Maureen, no game, Maureen. It is no game. <laughs> if you don't get turned down, you're not working. You know, listen, you, you have to have turn downs if you're a recruiter. That's just a fact of life. Nothing's 100%. If you have 100%, you might make as many as two or three placements a year. Yeah, you like told us last week was talking about how uh, he, he places everybody he ever sent out or something. And I'm like, dude, you're not doing enough send outs. That's right. That, that, that doesn't happen. Nothing is nothing in recruiting because we're dealing with people, and as long as you got people, you don't have a hundred percent. Who's got another question for Bill? Jeremy, you can ask a question too. I won't forbid you. Can we, Michael? How about if we all ask you questions? Can we do that? No, you're the guest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, let me ask you something, Blood. So you got this IPF. I met Bill, and really, he is a model of health and fitness, okay? Uh, and uh, I was very impressed when I met him. You know what? I was a bit stupider back then. It was quite a while ago. And I thought, geez, Bill's 69 years old. That's old. But he didn't seem old at all, right? So now I know a little better that that's not so old anyway. But he, you seemed like a very lively guy. And I think soon after I met you, you hurt your arm when you were skateboarding, okay? So that's that's the kind of person you were. Uh, but now, are you different? You said you're winded. Are you sick all the time? And, uh, like, you, you, I, I've read a lot of your diet stuff on Facebook. You, you started doing the Stone Age diet or, like, the paleo diet, and you said that really helped you. Are you a, a sick person who says, I'm going to die tomorrow, or are you just leading a normal life like, like you've always uh, left? I, I, I don't know. Well, Lived, rather. Put in perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm training for a tough mutter in April, it'll be a week after my, my 77th birthday, which I fully expect to win my age group. I won my last 5K I ran in McKinney in April of last year. Uh, I lift twice a week. I swim twice a week. I run twice a week. I'm physically active. I work hard in doing what I do. And my life hasn't changed that much. But I also recognize I'm probably in the top one-tenth of one percent of all patients as far as stability. I haven't gotten as bad as many do. I've been fortunate. Maybe it's genes. Maybe it's diet. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's attitude. I'm not sure what it is. But whatever it is, I'm doing all those things that have kept me well. Okay. Anybody else got a question for Bill? Bill, anything we haven't covered that you want to talk about? So I'll go over. I don't think to Jerry do an after show. Yeah. Okay, well I'll go over a little if Phil has. I, I mean, I do. There. There's not much we can do. I mean, with the after show, I mean, every n- nobody's gonna say anything bad about Bill. <laughs> Which is, you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in a corner me, here on this one. Then, let me just take a little time, <laughs> Bill. Do you want to review something, or is there something you haven't told us? So here's the here's what I I, I think. You came on because you wanted to make sure that we all know about IPF. What, what's the first word again? What does I stand for? 
Idiopathic, meaning unknown. And that's Idiopath. my first mission. And and secondly, Michael, I wanted to do that. Secondly, I wanted to uh, inspire those patients, if they do listen to this, that there is life, not simply death and living with IPF. And third, I want to help recruiters in some way, form, or fashion. And that's my three missions. Very simple. Okay, but you, Bill, you just told us that you're the top 1%. That means very few people are, are leading a life like you. When they get this that's illness, true. they're in bad shape. Is that right? I have friends that have died within two weeks of diagnosis. Oh. And, uh, uh-huh. I've had others that uh, have been out there for eight, nine, ten years. So it, it's a, the, you can't just look at the numbers in itself. But no matter how many days you have or how many years, you want to take every day and suck it dry. It's it's like carpe diem. You know, seize the day, live it, love it, and bring joy to it. It's like those questions I ask you, did you bring joy and did you find joy? And you should ask yourself that every day and every morning, first thing in the morning and last thing at night. If you ask those, yourself those two questions, Michael, that I've had a successful talk in your show. Uh-huh. I've got to tell you, I'll challenge that because I'm not a believer in the Egyptian religion, the ancient Egyptian religion. Oh, no. so, <laughs> so, so, like, once I die, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I brought joy or had joy. It's over, okay? So, I mean, I never, I never would have thought you to be an Egyptian for some reason, Michael. I don't okay. lie, but I never would have seen that. That's one of the great things about dying. You don't have to worry about anything anymore. It's over, okay? So I know I'm going to die. That's the whole. That's why people feel free once they accept that. They they say, well, okay. So so and so doesn't like me. What do I care? I'm going to die in a little while anyway. It's not going to have a big effect on me. It's not going to last forever. So anyway, that's that's. The, go, go ahead. Before the show, before this started, I had I had coffee this morning with a friend of mine who's also an IPF patient who was diagnosed about six months ago, and he's progressing very fast, meaning he's already on oxygen and having a tough time. And I talked about this show. I talked about you. I didn't talk about you, Jerry. I apologize. But That's I all right. I, I prefer to stay in the background and just keep all it all right. running. Don't worry yeah, about that. Yeah, you're a quiet guy. But I asked him a question. I said, I said, in this process, have you learned anything? He said, yeah, to treasure the people and the time I have. And I think that's the secret to it. Treasure mm-hmm. what you have, enjoy it, and love life. It's uh, it's all you. It's the one thing you got. You got one shot. Make it the best. Okay. Anything all else right. before we go, Bill? I didn't sing I'm the song, to- but I have a song. Okay. It was "Walking in the Sand." Does anybody want to sing with me? The lyrics are just no, 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 no. no. I, I thought you were going to do uh, "I Have the Tiger." No, no, you said that, and you said you wouldn't sing, so I wasn't going to sing it myself because I don't like that song. I tell you what, we won't, we won't do it. We won't do it. Okay, Bill. You know what? I mean, like now you sort of, I don't know, you confuse me whether you're dying or or not. But uh, come back on the show again. We obviously got a lot to talk to you about. Thanks, okay? Bill. Okay, guys, I I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Bill! <laughs> You know, Bill Vick is such a nice guy. Don't say that because I'm here, Jerry, but thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, hey, get rid of this jerk. Animal, cut him off. (laughs) 
my goodness. I think there should be a show where the, the, the tables are turned and everybody can simply ask Michael questions. Because I have a lot of questions I'd like to ask you, Michael. You know, Blake Cannon, a heavy-duty recruiter from Austin, has suggested that several times. Where Animal's going to be the guest and we all just get a fry him. I think that sounds sounds great. A, I think, I think we need to do that on SourceCon Live. SourceCon Live. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Love it. And guys, I'm not sure if I've reached I reached you, you behind the scenes as well as the people that were listening to this, but I'm I'm most sincere about this. Uh, I I would hope you take the time to live days and the moments that you have. And Jeremy, I know you do that, and uh, I, I think actually uh, there's other people that do as well. But I'd encourage you to take take a second and uh, and just be thankful for what for what you have. Yeah. Not, I'm not trying to get all touchy feely. No, about I it, know, and I I'm you know being uh, someone who hasn't run into a you know a life crisis yet, I do bump into like say your situation here, and it gives us all time to think about. You know, take take today and really, you know, hug the ones you love. And problem is, without something really actually pressing, you know, you just kind of forget it after a couple of days, and you're back to I don't know, yelling at the kids or whatever. And you, need that uh, yep. you know, unfortunately, I mean, it's just and until there's something that's really, you know, you're looking down the barrel at it. Uh, it's I don't know, it's weird. And I'm certainly not wishing that upon myself. Clearly not. But you know, you know what I mean. So, all right. Well, guys. Um, hey, animal. Yeah. I don't even know what's going on here. He's he's abandoned us. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just in the middle of a ton of stuff. But Bill, I, I I always love talking with you. I think you're a. You know, it's easy to be a flash in the pan guy that's out here and people get to know, and pretty soon they fade away. You, you've been here forever it's awesome so i do have a question though is that um pinnacle club are they still around yeah i'm not i haven't been active in pinnacle for the last eight ten years but yes sure they're out there i'm not sure how active they are or anything else i'm really not i've lost contact with that group i mean that was kind of like the cool group to uh think about being a part of when i was on my way up in the profession well, you know why it really started out the reality, and a guy named Tony Burns was a catalyst to make yeah. it because of what happened. Tony Burns, mm-hmm. great, great, great trainer. But uh, the reason that came together was because the people at that time that were big billers, the guys that were doing and those numbers in that time, probably five hundred a year or better. Uh, Any time that we'd go to a meeting, we never could ask questions; we always had to answer them. And so we put together Pinnacle as a place where we could in, just be very candid and laid back and open and ask innocent questions and get great answers. And that's how it really started out. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks for calling in. And, uh, hey, take it easy, everybody. I've, I've got to get back to work. It's it's just too wacky here. But, Bill, always a treat to talk to you, man. I, I wish you well. All right, guys. Hey, I've, I've appreciated it. Nice oh, no. Oh, no. Walking in the sand Walking in the sand